Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 22 of Robot Radio. This is Greg Stanwood, I'm here along with Andrew Martin. And just, um, today we're, we're right in the middle of, a, of the rain delay of, the, of Sunday's game, and so we thought we'd go ahead and go ahead, uh, just get the podcast out of the way and start recording right now. So it's not going to be too long of a show, but we're going to be talking about the uh, most of the trade rumors that are going on right now because this is our last show before the uh, the July thirty first trade deadline, which is going to be on Saturday. So we'll if any if any moves are made, we'll have we'll have some reactions to those next week. But for now, uh, around this time, uh, all all the the you know, media writers around baseball start linking teams to various players. And just today, even we've, we've, we've opened up a new jar of potential trade candidates for the Rockies. And, uh, so we're just going to go through and kind of opine about some of those new, those new, uh, potential trades. And, uh, I guess we could start with Johnny Peralta, who is the, uh, kind of the, the, the name that has popped up, uh, for the first time today. You have any thoughts about that? Well, if they're looking for middle infield help, he could be a good addition to the team. Um, he, he's an interesting kind of player. He's had these ups and down seasons all the time. Um, this year, he is posting a slightly below average bat, and basically, he's not that much better than a Clint Barmus would be. He uh, is below average fielder, which would definitely be worse than where we stand with Barmus. And uh, as far as I know, he's getting paid, you know, major league style salary. So I'm kind of curious why we're looking into a guy like him. If I see right now, it's looking like he is on a the last year of a um, five year, $13 million contract that he signed with the Indians. He would be he's owed four point six million over the course of the season. And he has a uh, seven million dollar option on next year with a two hundred fifty thousand dollar buyout okay uh it seems like a decent chunk of money to pick up for a guy who would be a marginal improvement and i can't imagine him being much better than just calling up chris nelson frankly yeah i mean well chris nelson will definitely be a september call up at the very least i don't think they really intend to try calling him up as an impact change though it would be interesting if maybe you know we actually are actively pursuing somebody to uh, fill in for the infield and we end up going past the deadline and no move or n- no trade can be lined up that maybe we actually do reach down and consider Nelson, especially if Clint Barmas uh, continues to kind of dip back into his late season struggles. Well, the issue is too, is that I, I, I think the reason they'd be looking for a major league caliber player rather than Chris Nelson would just be the transition from the minors to the majors. I mean, it's a big deal, no matter how you look at it. And, uh, I mean, it's not like Chris Nelson's a seasoned veteran who's just kind of working out troubles in the AAA or something like that. He's, uh, he's you know, he, he's a rookie, and if he makes a team next year, he'll still be a rookie. I mean, assuming yep. he doesn't somehow eat the rest of his eligibility, you know, starting tomorrow or something. Uh, I guess a thought with Peralta is just kind of another versatility sort of thing that he can play second, third, and short, and I not none of them very well. I still think that if we're looking at him like that, it's kind of a desperation move because he's, I mean, I just don't see him as being an impact in any way, shape, or form except for, hey, we're going to spell players. And with Tulewitzki coming back, if we can keep a middle infield tandem of Barmas, Herrera, and Tulewitzki, and then have just whoever spe- – and then I, we'll still have Mora too. It's not as if he's going anywhere yet. 
Um, not officially anyways. I, mean, I think it would be a stretch to think that they just cut him. Mm-hmm. So he's he's going to be your backup at third base and your emergency second baseman. And, yeah, that's kind of where we're sitting right now. So it, I, I'm hoping that if we do acquire somebody like Peralta, I'm hoping it's for next to nothing because he's really not worth much to me. I don't think he's worth much to the team. I don't think he's that good of a player anymore. From what I've heard, uh, that's part of the reason why interest in, in Peralta has kind of peaked right now, be- simply because the Indians are not asking for a lot. Um in fact, I think I read somewhere that we could quite easily acquire Johnny Peralta without giving up one top 20 prospect. Well, and then we'd have to probably pay his entire salary, too, is the downside. For an organization that's been so concerned about picking up you know, salary and stuff like that, I don't understand why we just toss a couple million or whatever the prorated amount would be this season and a player toward a guy who may not be any bigger impact than the guys we already have. Yeah, it, it, I, I would definitely agree that it just kind of seems to be a sort of redundant move, a sideways move, if you will, at the very least. And, and if we do end up, I mean, I completely identify with being stingy about the the budget. Uh, the, at the beginning of the offseason, when we were starting to make all these free agent signings like Giambi and stuff, I kept freaking out about how we were going to be pushing the uh, the uh, the budget. But at the same time, it's always a little easier to make moves like this when you're at the trade deadline because you're not necessarily in line to pay a huge amount of money. Not a huge uh, amount, but I mean, Peralta's prorated amount would be at least Melvin Morris' full season salary. Right, but again, at this point, if you have the money to spend, I suppose you could say, why not spend it? I mean, it's not like we're, it's not like Dan Ugla, for example, where we need to factor. Peralta's. I mean, you said he's on the last year of his contract. We don't need. Yeah, he has an option on next year for for a two fifty k buyout, right? Yeah. So basically, that's all the further money you're committing is two hundred fifty thousand, and that's uh, you, you know you'd be concerned about a player who you know has one or two years left, like Dan Ugla, who will cost you more money, and you're going to need to factor that in, and it could potentially you know cramp your your 2011 budget but this wouldn't be a move that would do that this would be a move that requires a certain amount of money now and if you have it i mean of course the argument would be why not spend it on something better than johnny peralta <laughs> exactly I, this isn't the nfl where if we were every team basically has the you know unlimited money because the nfl is such a huge revenue team you know sport and they have that cap i mean if you don't you got the cap space use it it's not like that in baseball, obviously, so there's really no point to just pointlessly spend money. And I don't see Peralta be coming to the National League and improving. I mean, especially with our division, I see him just getting worse. And that's kind of the fact of it. The matter right there is that he just, he's been on the decline for several years now. I mean, as, it was two seasons ago that he was rated as an above-average bat, and he had two seasons in a row of that. But last season, he was Barmas level. This season, Barmas level. I, I well, maybe not quite that low right now, but uh, def. I mean, he's a moral level. I can say that. So I, again, it, it's kind of like pursuing Jorge Cantu. I just see it as a redundant move. Uh huh. And speaking of Cantu, uh, I, I posted this last night. I think it was either at the in the game wrap or the end of the game thread that uh, the Rangers are after him. Texas wants him, and they're looking to make a push for him. And so I do not want to get into a bidding war over a marginal guy like Jorge Cantu. Didn't the Angels also say they were looking into him? Yeah, but then they acquired uh, Alberto Cayaspo. Right, that's true. So that that basically that need for a second, third guy infield kind of or a second base and third baseman kind of infielder right. went away. 
So, I mean, the problem with the Angels is they have an absolute black hole with Brandon Wood. I mean, not that Sean Figgins would have necessarily been that much better in Anaheim, considering how terrible he's been in Seattle, but uh, um, they're really hurting a third base. And we are, I mean, say what we will about Stewart, he's been batting well lately, and he is not nearly as much trouble as someone like Brandon Wood is. Mm-hmm. I haven't really paid too much attention. I, I know Wood has been struggling, but I don't know the extent of just how serious it is. It's pretty awful. I mean, if you uh, if you look at the, you know, the, the OPS and the weighted on base average numbers, he's... Uh, pretty near the bottom of eligible third baseman mm. and, and i might be wrong on that i haven't looked in a little bit here but i was checking out stewart's numbers the other day and brandon wood was very low on that third mm-hmm. baseman list um we're also been linked to uh we're looking for pitching as well so i'll just kind of dive right in here we're looking uh, we were looking to deal with toronto with uh kevin Gregg and uh scott downs now with downs we were linked to downs last year and That's we right. ended we ended up getting betancourt instead yeah, I think that was a great move picking up Betancourt because he's been absolutely good for us. I mean, yeah, he, he, we we can say a lot about his early season struggles. But there's also we can also factor in the fact that he was really sick over the off season and wasn't really in his you know his physical you know peak at that point as far as his age would allow. Well, and, and as I think we mentioned on the podcast before, the funny thing about Betancourt is that aside from you know the fact that he's allowed he's 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 allowed a lot of runs this season, most of his st- uh, important. Uh, rate statistics have improved have actually been significant improvements he's striking out people better than he ever has he's walking fewer people than he ever has uh the only problem was he was getting hit around uh and and that uh, seems to have definitely quelled in the last uh, little while here it does and i mean even with that there he's still been one of our more valuable relievers i agree uh, completely and um, uh, well, just ahead. just real quick somebody i mean this isn't really like legitimate analysis or anything, but it's been pointed out that, you know, oh, we picked up a Cleveland Indians player at the deadline last year who was struggling and the change of scenery completely worked. I mean, that's not a legitimate argument for a, an, a, a, a who would be a somewhat utility infielder or whatever. But, uh, yeah. Well, pretty much um, the difference is that Betancourt wasn't awful. I mean, we basically brought him here and saw an improvement in his numbers not a drastic career turnaround of his numbers that, that that's kind of the difference there and i'm wondering if it was just getting out of the the more hater friendly american league or or if he just likes it here more or maybe dapadak has done good things with him i mean all those are pretty legitimate uh legitimate things here right but with someone like peralta i mean i don't know i don't i don't not to just slam the organization, but I have a lot more faith in Bob Apodaca than I do in uh, Dom Baylor. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm basing that on just on the fact that Baylor hasn't really been here that long in this stint as a hitting coach. We've seen some improvement from some players, not as much from others, but we've seen a lot of across-the-board improvement from a lot of guys with Bob Apodaca. Anyways, uh, moving on to Downs and Greg here. Uh, the thought is with both of them is that we'd be getting another um, well with, with Downs we'd be getting a left-hander with Greg a right-hander, and we got two very very different uh, pitchers in Scott Downs. Uh, think a left-handed Taylor Buckholtz, except not the gigantic curveball. Downs uh, doesn't strike out a gi- you know a huge number of guys. He has been a uh, well he has been, not this season anyways. But he, he's been in the uh, upper eights in his career, but this season he's uh, just shy of seven per, seven strikeouts per nine innings. But he's also walking uh, just a shade above 2.01 walks per nine. So we're looking at a big control guy, throws strikes, does a very monstrous uh, fastball, 
and is able to uh, mix in a uh, mix in a slider and a curve. And when I say monsters fastball, we're looking at like Houston Street big fastball in the sense that it you know moves and dives and cuts all over the place rather than uh you know he throws it at 100 miles an hour like someone like Broxton would. It it touches 90 low 90s at times. He sits just below 90 as it is. Uh, he mix this when I say he mixes in a slider and a curve. I mean, it's really he he's like 75 percent fastball. And then uh, I also have a curve and a slider just 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 in case if he needs to throw someone off a little bit. The fact that he can throw it for strikes, he'd be a um, be, be, we might even maybe even Buckholz isn't the best example, but like take Buckholz's rate numbers from my like, 2008. And then take Raphael Betancourt's pitch selection, and that's kind of what you got in Scott Downs, but left-handed. Hmm. Kevin Gregg, on the other hand, is a big-time strikeout pitcher. He uh, he throws a, uh, a low to mid '90s fastball, um, and he definitely mixes in a strong a strong cutter. Um, he can throw an okay sinker, and he has a big slider. So we'd be kind of looking at a you know many corpus with, with his 2007 velocity. That's kind of the guy we'd be picking up in Greg. Downside about of uh, Greg there is the um, he walks way too many guys. We're looking at a career 3.76 walks per nine, and his last four years he's been um, let's see going back to 2007 with the Marlins 4.29 walks per nine, uh, 4.85 walks per nine, then 2009 with the Cubs only 3.93, which is an improvement. But with Toronto, he's up to over five this year, 5.26. And the strikeout numbers have been solid. So if you look at it, you know, contextually in the forms of, you know, you know, ratios, he's, you know, kind of hovered around two-ish, and he's at 1.77 right now. And I know there's a lot of numbers being thrown out there, but when I look at a relief pitcher, and if they're not a knuckleballer, I want to see a strikeout to walk ratio over two. Because if they're coming in throwing their best stuff, we can't. You, you, it, letting base runners on is kind of inexcusable, and uh, especially with a free pass. I mean, hits happen. That's just the nature of the game. But uh, putting on five, over five guys per nine is just not the kind of guy that I want to see. I think he'd be a headache. I think he's going to be frustrating for the team. Um, I just I think he'd be a mistake. Difference. The thing is with Downs and Greg though is Downs is going to be far more expensive because he's left-handed and he's better. Well, I just looked up their contract details, and both of them are ending their contracts this year. Uh, Greg has a, an option with a 750k buyout, whereas Downs does not have an option. So, in that sense, uh, in terms of uh, future commitment, Downs would be cheaper. In fact, Downs is making four million this year. Greg is making. Two million. So, well, we got to think about what we don't have to give up for these guys. With Greg, it sounds a lot like it'd be kind of a uh, almost like Cleveland situation where it's like, hey, we'll take a player who might stick for a week in the majors for this guy. We'll just like just take his salary, take him away. We don't want him. I mean, they they had their strong start, but Toronto's clearly not the class of the American League East this season. And uh, you know, I'd love to think that Greg could come in and you know have Apodaca you know, fix his sinker or something like that. But I, uh, I don't mean to sound too much like a pessimist here, but I just don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't think Greg would be a good addition to the team. And I, once again, hope that we don't make a move for the sake of making a move. Um, right. I mean, at, consider at, we have Rogers's depth in triple a, I don't see bringing in a guy like Greg really being that big of an improvement. And well, and, and also, as we've said many times, the the pen overall, while it's it's had its ups and downs like all bullpens do, it's been for the most part a a positive surprise. 
And I don't know. I, I mean, unless you go crazy and acquire like a some really good eighth inning setup guy or something, there's not really any way that somebody like uh, Kevin Gregg or Scott Downs could really improve the bullpen. Um, I think Downs, at least coming in, you'd have a stronger option than Randy Flores. And I'm not trying to. I, I don't. I'm for actually. I'm not hating on Flores right now. Um, I think I pointed this out last night during one of the game threads is that uh, our two lefties in the pen are getting their jobs done. We want Flores to be kind of a mid to low leverage tops. Like we don't want a game to get out of control in the sixth or seventh. And so we bring him in just to put mm-hmm. down a Ryan Howard, to put down a, a Jim, Ed, not more well, Jim Emmons is kind of a weird example, but you see my point. Um, not like an eighth inning, like, oh, man, the, the the setup guys got traffic and now we got tough lefty out with two outs. Right, and, and, specialist. and we've had but Joe he, Bimel to do that. And he, but Flores has shown effective splits against left-handers. His uh, OPS against is in, like, the low 700s against right-handers, which isn't good. It's it's kind of, you know, slightly above average-ish. But his And his numbers against left-handers aren't just night and day. Like, we're talking Mike Myers 2000, blatant. But uh, he... Um, he definitely show favors. Uh, get, he gets left-handers out well enough to say he's a good uh, mid-to-low leverage option. And then Bimel, like you just said, has uh, been getting the job done. When Betancourt struggles a bit and we have to uh, worry about a strong left-hander coming up, Bimel has been like a sub-500 OPS pitcher against uh, left-handers this season. Right. And he's also been thriving in all forms of leverage. No matter how you look at it, Bi- Bi- Joe Bimel's been a great addition to the team this year. So um, and and also of all of the uh, of all of the outgoing uh, free agents, I think that uh, I it might even be worth it to look into re-signing Bimel again. Agreed. Um, moving on from pitching, if that's all right there. I mean, all sure. we're seeing all we're seeing is the Rockies are really looking at getting is bullpen help and then Johnny Peralta. But I wouldn't even necessarily say we're really looking to get Johnny Peralta. We just might. Um, I actually. Think- it, if I can interrupt real quick, I I honestly think that we may end up seeing a uh, the trade deadline go by with no moves. I wouldn't be surprised at all. We're not. It's it's seeing it's, how we've been we've kind of fallen off as Dan Ugla tra- wagon, and there's no. I mean, unless something super secret and exactly that's kind of what I was about to say. Yeah, unless there's some like surprise out of left field of some player that they've just kept on the down low. But of the of the Peraltas and the Cantus and the uh, the Kevin Greggs and and such, I I honestly wouldn't be surprised if uh, we passed them all by in the yeah, end. We're lo- we're looking to. F- it looks very clearly like we're not in the really in the market right now for a real second baseman. We are looking to pick up a an, a better backup or other you know garbage inning help or something like that and. I, I I don't know I don't I don't like the idea of paying anything to fill to, to you know play backups you got minor leaguers for that right but uh as far as outgoing players go um not to say that we're sellers by any stretch we've been linked uh, to trade rumors with other teams um the uh, Chicago White Sox have been very interested in looking at Adam Dunn as we know but mm-hmm. there's also I've also seen vague rumors that they also Hop. have kick the tires on Brad Hop that's yeah. correct. Although he's he's losing value every second he's on the every field right second, now. Yeah, so they're basically saying, well, Adam Dunn started out playing left field for Cincinnati because and, and left and right, I believe, and then uh, as their younger play, and then when they, you know, then they had Griffey in center, and then uh, uh, then he moved to right and Dunn moved to left, whatever. Dunn eventually moved to first base with Washington, but uh, the White Sox would be looking at him as kind of a uh, 
uh, left field, first base, DH option, which is pretty much Brad Hop's skill set, except, you know, right field, first base, DH. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting, though, as far as... Uh, as far as outfield goes, is that the Rockies are also have also been very briefly linked to Jason Worth. Yes, they they did inquire about Jason Worth, but we don't know exactly how how much inquiring there was. We've been in touch with Philly uh, about just various things, and we know that they've been looking to include him in a trade that would get them something that they need because he really is. He really does make a decent trade chip for them, even though he's, I mean, because a, he's been very productive and still, if they were to trade him, they wouldn't be losing a whole lot. Uh, and no, of, of Jason course, worth a good baseball player. I would, that, that outfield is going to hurt without Jason worth. So you think that trading away worth for something else that they need would be a terrible idea for them. I, w- I wouldn't go as far as to say terrible, but the fact is that the, the, uh, Philadelphia is th- this is actually not a terrible thought process because Jason Worth is almost undoubtedly going to become a free agent, right? Just because they've put all that money into Ryan Howard, which just it still boggles my mind. But uh, but with putting all that money into Howard, they uh, uh, they don't have a lot of room left to re-sign a guy like Jason Worth for what he's worth, and you know, pun kind of intended, which is silly. But uh, he's a solid producer and. Uh, I, I, they, what they're looking for is a um, is a major league ready replacement for him. So I don't think they're necessarily saying they want Carlos Gonzalez out of the deal because that would be I mean, any team who makes that move should be kicked in the head. But uh, um, they want somebody who can come in and fill in right now and take that spot because I don't think they have much faith in a uh, Ben Francisco taking over you know right field for any uh, long term point of time they like him as a fourth outfielder pinch runner kind of guy mm-hmm. and it's not as if worth any slouch i mean no this is, this is his third straight season of almost uh, very similar stat lines uh uh he he's a good power hitter he's put uh he put 24 over the fence in 2008 36 last year and he's only he's only got 13 long balls this year but he's uh he's hitting for good average he's getting on base very well he's hitting for good power and uh it's it's three straight three eighty ish weighted on base average seasons uh, mm-hmm. with Philadelphia. That's a good baseball player in my estimation. Um, four straight, I should actually say, two thousand seven as well. He had a, I got a little distracted in there, but that, and that was like the first season they acquired him. Uh, yeah. So the idea is that worth going to any team is going to provide a, you know, he's looked he he's rated out as you know being average to slightly above average in right field or just the outfield in general he can play all three outfield positions he's like i said got a strong bat he strikes out way too much but uh you know that's just kind of the nature so, of the piece when you got a guy who hits well so do a lot of productive players yeah exactly um so i don't blame the phillies in saying hey we want a young replacement player now as a, and and saying or else we'll let him walk or you know we'll try to negotiate on our own because they're undoubtedly going to get some sort of draft pick compensation. I think Jason Worth has been a very good baseball player right. the last few years. So it's not a we have to move this guy. It is a um, we would like to get some value out of this guy. Mm-hmm. Also, funny story, just as we're, we're recording this, the game started back up again. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching it right now. I am, too. It's about, at the top of the seventh, and Melvin Moore just got hit by a pitch, and they said there's an injury delay. Would, I, I'm just looking at my updates. Are you what? Do you have the game on live? Yeah. At, uh, does he look? Is he at first base now? Or is he? Uh, yeah, he, uh, he is. He's he's uh, he's still in there. I'd sure like it if uh, Spielberg didn't strike out right there. But uh, 
Um, no, so we were linked to him. I don't know who exactly we give up because out of our young outfielders, um, that we're pretty much stuck with uh, Dexter Fowler and Carlos Gonzalez as guys who would fit what the Phillies want. And I don't see the team giving up either of those players for a two-month rental of Jason Worth. Mm-hmm. I don't th- see him being a playoff guarantee or anything like that. And I don't think that they're very likely to take Brad Hopp as a return either because no. that's silly talk. Um, maybe Smith or Spielbergs, but I think they're kind of older players, and I don't see them being interested in them either. People have been interested in the two of them before, but it, it's been mostly uh, situational where there's a hole in the outfield already. It, it, it's not this kind of situation where they're looking for a young person to be a long-term replacement. It would be somebody to, you know, oh, somebody is... Uh, I mean, I remember last year there were multiple teams interested in Spielborgs at the deadline. Uh, a good, turns out he's a good player. Who knew? <laughs> um. We could also mention Chris Iannetta real quick, you know, yeah. on, on again, off again all year, starting in the off season and then happening again when he started struggling and then happening again when all their catchers suddenly got hurt. Uh, you know, the the Red Sox have, have had interest in, in Chris Iannetta multiple times and there have well, been bits and pieces Verit- of discussion. Go ahead. No, I was going to say neither Veritek nor Martinez present the best uh, defensive catching options behind the plate for them. And it's not as if we're talking about, you know, I, I, I'm i trying to think of a good defensive guy. Pudge Rodriguez kind of catcher in uh, Chris Iannetta, but they're saying he's youngish, cost-controlled-ish. Oh, good. In play out. Never mind. We'll just load him up for no reason. He flew uh, out. Nice. Good work. Um, yay. Anyways, uh they're, they clearly want a guy that they can play as their everyday catcher or, you know, whatever an everyday catcher constitutes as anymore. They want to be, they want a guy like Iannetta to play for them, but the Rockies are very smart. Cause I mean, if the Red Sox want him, we should definitely be like, you want him, you got to pay for him. Cause you know, it, it, there, there's people who could I mean, love him or hate him. There's cases to be made either way for t- whether trading him would be a smart idea. Which we and talked about last week, yeah. Yeah, exactly. With Will Rosario's progression, with uh, more or Miguel Levo's option, et cetera, and Mike McHenry being right there in AAA, I mean, we could do worse. But uh, Ina has been hitting the ball well lately, and considering we're talking about rotating him to first base as well, uh, which I hope that is, it wasn't just, you know, lip service or something like that to a. Uh, questions about first base but uh um i, I down on dad sounds like he's he's being playing hardball with with theo epstein and i think that's absolutely the correct way to do this and as far as i can tell most of the 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 uh the you know rumor mongers or whatever have been saying that basically the, those talks have ended for now yeah but they, they, said, they they intend to pick them up again after the season's over exactly that's what i just saw most recently too is that they're going to push it to off-season discussion um yeah, the most. I mean, I haven't seen anything more recent on Nine than uh, it looks like the twenty third, which is two days ago when we're talking. To, oh no, it was today that people said that we're gonna do it during the off season. But uh, other teams are saying that we're the Ina is not extraneous given Miguel Levo, considering that we need a first baseman and it could be a smart move. I mean, I, I still like the idea of a two and a half catcher tandem with uh, Ina playing first base a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess we can wrap up real quick with maybe a discussion about the long shot of Dan Heron, uh, who we haven't talked about yet. Oh boy! Well, I mean, Dan Heron would obviously. I mean, I lo- how can you not love Dan Heron? I mean, really, the guy's just a phenomenal pitcher. He's having a very homer-friendly season, which sucks. But I, I don't see it necessarily as being a fall apart for him. I see it as being just an off year. 
Um, he doesn't walk guys. He strikes a good number of guys out, and he's controlled for a couple years here. So uh, we Troy Rank thinks we should go after him, and uh, I it kind of comes down to where your evaluation of a team's success lies. Do we say? Well, we treasure our young pitching as so many other teams do in the forms of Christian Friedrich, Tyler Matzik, Jolice Chassin, players like that. Or do we want to actually win one? And and there's no guarantees that Dan Heron wins us a World Series. Mm-hmm. But a rotation that includes Dan Heron and Ubaldo Jimenez is uh, far more disgusting than one without. I thought it, is it Go ahead, finish. I was just going to say the question is really the cost. Are we willing to make that much of a mortgage on the future? Because... Basically, if we trade away these guys, we suddenly have to start looking at this as a much more a much more different window of contention than we would if we had guys coming up the pipe still. Mm-hmm. Plus, um, what I was about to say was it's hard to believe that at the very least, Arizona would not ask for at least one of somebody like Friedrich or Rosario or something. Maybe if we were lucky, we would be able to like, you know maybe add an extra player or two in and get them to, to subvert that, especially if we play the angle that, you know, he's having a down year and, and so forth. But I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't at least try for it. And I mean, we're already at a, at a down position in that we are in their division and they're going to want more from us regardless than if, you know, somebody like the Yankees or somebody who we've already, who is, who have been mentioned as front runners for, for Heron, uh, offer a similar deal. They're, they're going to choose the Yankees because they'd rather not trade him to us. Exactly. Well, the Diamondbacks also got to realize too, that by the time Dan Heron hits free agency, there's a chance that by the time he's in his like last year of his contract or something like that, that might be the time when these young guys that we trade to him are starting to hit the majors. So they might just have to suck it up, losing, you know, getting their butts kicked, their butts kicked by Dan Heron for a little while. But if you look at the uh, flip side of it, there, the Yankees had the the Yankees are in an interesting position with Miguel uh, with with Jesus Montero because uh, the kid looks like a stud, but there's question marks about whether or not he can actually stick as a major league catcher. He was going to be the centerpiece in a in a trade that Gotham Cliff, Cliff Lee, Lee, right? Yeah. yeah. And the Yankees are pretty ticked off at the Rangers for the way they handled it because apparently yeah. the Rangers had it all on the table and were making it sound like it was good to go. Then all of a sudden, oh, hey, uh, Justin Smoke and – I mean the Mariners. I should say not the Rangers, but they're, they're mad at the Mariners for right. jumping ship on the trade so fast. Sorry about that. But uh, and then the text comes, comes in and says, hey, Justin Smoke. They're like, okay, we need a first baseman right now. Yeah. Well, um, let's – I I mean – this was mostly a trade rumor themed show, but we might as well talk about next week. Um, one more game on Monday, tomorrow, today, whenever you're listening to this, um, that will wrap up the Philly series. And then we at last are on our way home to Coors Field to take on Pittsburgh and Chicago. Um, it'll be our first se- our first series against Pittsburgh this this season, and it'll be our second and final series against Chicago. Um, are you excited to be going uh, going back home? <laughs> man, oh man, this has been a bad road trip. I mean, we won't get too far into this here, but uh, something's got to give here. And I think just being back in the uh, you know, the the thin aired high altitude confines of Coors Field will be. Uh, be nice and especially against two losing teams i'd be uh, i'd be okay with that the uh i mean it just seems so long since we've had a home game and i mean i know it's only been two weeks and that was kind of stretched out by the all-star break but it's uh it, it's just felt kind of uh 
kind of distant, you know, everything feels kind of, kind of far away and, and not, not quite so homely. So, uh, unfortunately though, we don't have a lot of home game, uh, a lot of home games for a while. We, yeah. uh, we've Me got, too. we've got a grand total of four home series, including the two I just mentioned against Pittsburgh and Chicago over the next four weeks. We, we play, uh, we play Pittsburgh and Chicago here, and then we also play San Francisco here. But then we go on the road, and we play Pittsburgh again, and then the Mets. Then we come back home for one series against Milwaukee, and then we're on the road again at L.A. and Arizona. Well, you get them at home, you get them away. It's just kind of how it happens. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes you kind of – I. it almost feels like there should be a moratorium against gigantic road trips right after the All-Star break. Yeah, as opposed to – I mean, not only did we land three road series, which is basically the maximum they ever give you, we also landed two of them that were four games. Exactly. This has been a long road trip. Mm-hmm. I feel it, bad for the players. Right. I mean, it would have even been more tolerable if they had still given us the three series, but – given us three three-game series or maybe even just one four-game series and given us like that Thursday at Florida off or something like that. I, you know, I, I'm no schedule master, but uh, uh, it, it always does seem to confuse me a little bit how, how they choose which teams you play for four games and which teams you play for three because sometimes like, like Chicago Cubs, we play them for five games. We played one series of two and one of three. And then you look at the Nationals and we play them eight games. We played two four-game series against them. It's just like talk about unbalanced. It's it's unbalanced in a lot more ways than just one. Pretty much, I, there's nothing really to be saying said about it besides you know just the bad luck of the draw. But you know, and I'm sure TV and stuff like that has to factor in a lot of things and stuff like that. So, well, what do you do? Yeah, we just gotta play play the best we can, I suppose, and just hope <sighs> that uh, uh, it can uh, it can work out. So I don't know if I'd, I don't know if it'd be matter if I it, matter as in more upset uh, in the team if they were not playing their best or if they were playing their best right now. Mm-hmm. Because both both have poor implications. Sure. Well, unless you have any other trade notes to talk about, I think uh, I think we're about done here. Really, I'd just be excited. I mean, a trade deadline is always exciting for me because I like I love to see these all these inner team moves, but at the same time. If we go, if we go the trade deadline and just sit pat, I won't be that upset. I don't think we have any really gigantic glaring needs, but it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah, I'd rather stay still than trade for somebody like Johnny Peralta. Oh gosh, I agree. All right. Well, um over the next week there'll obviously be uh I mean, if you don't have a lot of experience following the time before the trade deadline, it's always entertaining because there will be a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of rumors going around, and a whole lot of interesting trades that uh, really shake up just about you know every division in the uh, in the uh, in the entire league. So uh, there will be a lot of changes, and baseball will look a lot different when we next get back to you uh, next week. So on behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you next week. Take care.